Welcome to the 49th episode of Delica, a podcast between two friends about the latest in politics, society, and feminism in Indonesia and the world. I'm Stephanie Tankilisan. And I'm Sweden Lee. And this week, we're going to talk about what happened just literally a few days ago with the Surabaya bombings. And, you know, talking about the terrorism act that has happened and the kind of discussions around terrorism. Intersectional hatred is basically what we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. And the military's potential role? Come back and oppose it. At the time when it's the 20th anniversary of the May 98 riots, we're going to talk about that. And uh, listeners, this is not one of the happier episodes, but I think if there's a week to be a little bit more real. This is it. Here's to it. So as most of you must have heard by now, over the weekend on Sunday, May 13th, there was a series of church bombings that happened in Surabaya in East Java. The first church killing, which the father was identified by police as Dita Oprianto and his wife Puji Kuswat had two daughters aged 9 and 12, and they attacked the Indonesian Christian church. And the mom had her two daughters with her. She forced her way into the church, detonating and killing 12 people and injuring at least 40. They were wearing, like, bomb straps, right? They were, this was not even... Yeah. This was, like, very... Almost professional yeah. in the sense of, like, carrying out the attack. And for the other one, it was an attack at the Pentecostal Central Church, which uh, the father drove the van into the church grounds, and he had his two teenage sons, 16 and 18, uh, who drove motorcycles to the Santa Maria Catholic Church, Yeah. who detonated bombs. So, and ISIS through its AMAC news agency called it a martyrdom operation. So basically, like, when I heard the news, it was just like, oh, I thought, I like, the first one really shocked me. And then the subsequent ones I thought was just, like, a re- additional reporting on the previous attacks. And yeah. I didn't realize that it was different churches and, like, three separate church attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This attack happened in Surabaya, which is my mom's hometown, actually, so I I've been to Surabaya a lot, so this kind of hits close to home for me. And actually, um, the husband of my mom's cousin was injured in the attack as well. Oh, wow. He was at one of the churches. Yeah, he was. Wow. That really hits close to home. It really does. Um, And I think what hits close to home, too, I think, also in terms of the media attention, is the fact that these parents roped in their children you know Uh, which is a which is a new low honestly like these kids don't know any better right yeah and what was surprising for me as well when i first heard of it is that these were three different denominations of churches too they're not yeah no there's a catholic church there's uh protestant churches so it was you know it, it didn't feel like a normal kind of for the lack of a better word normal yeah Kind of terrorist thing. I mean, it's intersectional hatred. <laughs> yeah, um, there you go. They're diversifying. Yeah, and and it was actually really heartbreaking to read one of the grandfather statements of you know, you know the grandfather of the main perpetrators who are like, 
like he was just so surprised that this happened and that he lost all his grandchildren one day. Mm-hmm. He said, I love my grandchildren very much and they died because of their father's ideology. I want to apologize to Surabaya residents who have become victim due to my son's actions. I apologize from deep within my heart, especially who died to those who died because of him. Like, I just, I mean, like, this man lost all his grandchildren at one time, too. Like, that's just, like, I think a pain and a, a sadness that I think mm-hmm. very few people know. This is a truly tragic event on all fronts, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just so shocking to think that the family did this. And there was, you know, there are so many questions circulating around right now about, like, how did this family become this way? How did the parents become this way? How did, how, how was all of this planned? Mm-hmm. And I will say, what was encouraging to hear is that, you know, this, the attacks happened in early Sunday morning. And by Sunday night, there was already a candlelit vigil. There were so many um, Surabayans as well as netizens all across Indonesia who voiced their support for the Surabaya citizens affected by this and really banding together to say no towards terrorism, no towards extremism. Yeah, I just wanted to add, actually, on terms of the organization of this attack, the the men who are, I guess, the leaders of this attack was linked to Jama'ah Ansharut Daula are commonly known as JAD. It's a jihadi group that supports um, ISIS, according to police officials. Its leader, Aman Abdurrahman, was scheduled to appear at court hearing last week, uh, but it was postponed after a deadly riot broke out in a jail where he's being held in Depok, West Jakarta. Mm-hmm. It's Klapadua. It's a Brimop prison. Or Brimop is the Indonesian task unit. And I actually have a source who is based there. And this is a really, like, also a shocking, so related incident because what happened in this, which I think is much less reported, is that um, five Brimop uh, Densus 88, which is the like, kind of legendary police special unit, the mm-hmm. intelligence unit who combat terrorism, um, they had five of their own throats slit in this deadly riot at this jail. So... It seems to be kind of like... Is there a connection? Sorry, Brimop is um, the correct English translation is Mobile Brigade. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's it seems like it's concerning to me because it seems to be like a more sophisticated campaign. Because from what I remember from the bombing attack that happened in Jakarta, it was like so feeble and so pathetic. Yeah, the 2016 um, one, right? And uh, the 2016 bombing attack, uh, which, you know, we were both there, I think this bomb I was in it was in the states you were there you were yeah I was there so we were like scared for like two hours and then you're like lol at the fail attempt uh, that happened and so like this actually I think shook a little like also I think because of the timing of this incident right like this happened um on the 20th year anniversary of the May 98 attacks yeah so these attacks happen on Sunday morning, and by Monday morning, President Jokowi and the government have released statements and come out very strongly against the kind of terrorism that has happened. Um, Jokowi himself has said that these kinds of actions are really inhumane, and not only are they targeting the society, they're also targeting the police and even children, and we must do everything we can to stem this tide to stop the perpetrators. Mm-hmm. Um, on that front, then, he also mentioned the fact that there is right now in parliament 
the revision of the anti-terrorism law that's currently up for debate, and he's been pushing the DPR or the parliament to really get it through so that it can be signed into law and legalized so that the police and other forces can be empowered to do more to fight this kind of terrorism. Can you break down a little bit on what the bill actually wants to do and wants to change? This bill, the terrorism bill that was signed into law in 2003, after what I think a lot of people would agree was the last time there was a really massive deadly bombing in Indonesia, which was the Bali bombings in 2002. Mm-hmm. That was a series of bombings and nightclubs that not only killed Indonesians, but also Australians, and it really hit the news hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so this law was crafted uh, hot on the heels of that attack and also the general sense of fear against terrorism after 9-11 um, and all of that. So this was uh, what's called the Criminal Terrorist Action Law, and it was passed so that it allows the police and the military to respond to terrorist attacks, you know, it giving them a lot of legal power to detain suspects and broaden the definition of what it means, what terrorist means. Um, right now, the changes that are up for debate is to broaden those definitions further so that the police can arrest those who are espousing hate speech or spreading radical content, as well as those taking part in you know trainings or extremist groups that might be interested in these kind of ideologies. Yeah. And I think uh, another big distinction I want to make is the addition of allowing the military to be involved in counterterrorism. Because, I mean, the mobile brigades, BRIMOP is, and DENSIS 88, it's a, it's a police task force mm-hmm. that has the jurisdiction to uh, fight terrorists. And to have the military be involved, there must be a request from the police or from the governor according to 2002 police laws, um, to have them come in. I think this change in laws wants to make it easier for the military in some way to be involved. And this is a significant change because um, there was a big deal of the separation of the police and the military. Historically, the police, back in the new order under dictator Suharto, I'm not even going to call him president because, because... the police was put under the command of the military. So their budget and their everything was like set by the military and it was kind of like a stepchild relationship um, where pretty much, and I was talking to Jackie Baker, who is a researcher at Murdoch University who focused on, mm-hmm. on these issues. And it was to the point where like at some point um, – she heard that during this time, like whenever there was foreign training uh, abroad, like the military would just like take all these slots and like use police uniforms and like take over. This is like the level of like subordination that um, the military had over the police. During the new and order. The reason for this is that the military has military command areas all over Indonesia in order to secure Suharto's control over Indonesia mm-hmm. and over like any kind of activist groups, any kind of Muslim organizations and like the military commanders would like, you know, go into villages and talk to local leaders all the time and remind them that the doctrine of Pantasila and, you know, and the national unity and that kind of just show kind of their presence and mm-hmm. uh, which to some extent has kind of like suppress a lot of radical um, 
Islamic movements in Indonesia, which is why we see after the fall of Suharto, like the free, the increased freedom of expression and and, and the separation and the separation. Um, there is no more like omnipresent force that would kind of like temper those kind of organizations anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, like the reason why, like I think a lot of a lot of community leaders and a lot of um, human rights activists think the separation was really good is because the military is not known for its stellar reputation for human rights and for respecting was, human rights yeah yeah um they have a lot of in papua and Aceh and timor timor and east timor um committed a lot of really gross violations on human rights mm-hmm. against indonesians and um so the police was seen to be although sometimes corrupt at least they weren't like raping and murdering people um they're just maybe taking bribes uh uh no like these are all really serious things but it's it's why i I think a lot of people despite you know the fact that a terrorist attack just happened i think we should be careful in terms of supporting new anti-terrorism laws that could turn indonesia back to a more militaristic state you know, right after a really terrible event happening, this is when people are really emotional and um, they want quick solutions. And as Stephanie has put it, a lot of human rights activists are concerned that if this revision to the terrorism bill is signed into place, yeah. it would create a really broad definition of terrorism. People will be wiretapped. People will be arrested just for something they posted on social media. Uh, it, it's, it's slippery slope. Yeah, and I mean, to an extent, we have already pretty liberal, in a non-chill way, liberal kind of due process for terrorism. Like, it's not uncommon for Densus 88 or the anti-terrorism unit to just go and arrest people. And yeah, raids happen all the time. Yeah, raids happen all the time. It's not it's not unusual at all. Um, it's not like we're not doing anything. Yeah, and, and it's not like... I mean, yeah... The hate speech online and on social media has gotten really bad. And even in this um, wake of these anti-terrorism, there has been a lot of talk like denying that these attacks happened. Like, Which is insane. <laughs> there's definitely a lot of really irresponsible yeah. media and hate speech going on back home too. But I'm less concerned about that and more concerned about... Um, you know, having the military step back in a role without properly examining the, I guess, like, I just always feel like the Indonesian military has too much power in Indonesia in a way that's disconcerting to me, especially the Indonesian army. I I think I also want to talk about that in relation to the timing of this attack as well. Mm -hmm. Um, The fact that this happened in the 20-year anniversary of the May 98 riots in which overnight pretty much um, Jakarta, the capital city where we both grew up, mm-hmm. burst into flames and within a few days... Quite literally. Uh, 2,000 people died and then there was over 200 rapes of Chinese Indonesian women that was reported rapes mm-hmm. by the National Joint Fact-Finding Team. Um, 
yeah, that was a targeted attack towards the Chinese Indonesian community as a scapegoating tool um, away from the economic crisis of Suharto's dictatorship and failure in leadership. Yes. Um, with this attack, it wasn't necessarily like targeted to Chinese Indonesians, yeah. but for me at least, um, this was an attack on a Christian, Catholic, and Pentecostal churches. The way demographically Chinese Indonesians exist in Indonesia is that most Chinese Indonesians are Christian, Catholic, or Buddhist, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure about the demographics of the attack, but I think when you heard that this was an attack on Christian Catholic churches, I saw it as another attack on us again. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of Chinese Indonesians felt that way as well. Yeah. How do you, I don't know, what do you think? I think that's definitely true. And I remember when my parents actually, like, and obviously text messaged me and be like, oh, did you hear about these attacks? And they, you know, my parents are not Christian. Mm-hmm. And they felt really threatened by what was happening. You know, it's almost like the church part was incidental because they felt like it was really more about attacking the minority in this case because it was an extremist attack. It was a fundamentalist attack. So they were really worried. And even though it wasn't in Jakarta, you know, Surabaya is basically... It was the second city of Indonesia, right? It's one of the biggest cities. And a lot of Chinese Indonesians also live there. Yeah. And I think it's also a fairly liberal city. You know, it's it's not like one of those places that is more fundamentalist in its in its makeup. So a lot of people read between the lines yeah. in this attack. And I remember thinking sort of like the timing was just too... On the nose. Yeah, too on the nose that even if it wasn't um, directly targeted towards the Chinese, I don't know if it wasn't in part targeted towards the Chinese, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think a lot of uh, writers um, have responded and made that connection as well. I've read a couple of writings where people mm-hmm. of Chinese descent, not of Chinese descent, have came out in, as a reaction, as a response to what happened in Surabaya and thinking like, oh, this is rearing up those ugly memories and those ugly shadows of what happened in 98. And they don't obviously don't want that to happen again. And what can we do? Yeah. And it's also, you know, this is a year before the 2019 presidential election. So there is also a lot of political jostling and positioning that is at stake here, which is all, you know, it's, it's obviously not the same political scenario as 98. Mm-hmm. But if 98 was able to, you know, it, it created a, sh- a significant shift of power politically, one can say for the better, mm-hmm. there was a radical shift, right? Mm-hmm. In this instance, one wonders, like, could another radical shift happen? And could it be a radical shift towards the other direction? Are we going to be more fundamentalist because of this? Because of talks like what Jokowi and Deper and the others have talked about, you know, enacting laws that are much more draconian and much more heavy-handed in how it treats democracy and human rights. We hope that the government doesn't just act hot-headedly and react in a knee-jerk way to this thing, but... I think Jokowi is, in my analysis, trying to act tough, right? Mm-hmm. Coming to an election, he needs to to show people that he has the ability to lead this country in this trying times. Um, yeah, especially as somebody who doesn't come from a military background. Yeah, but I don't want him to overcompensate by 
eroding our civil liberties. Um, but I also still think that he's still our best option coming into next year's election. I don't see any other choices. and At least not right now. And I think there is some who think that a more strong military man um, needs to be in power again in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Because Jokowi is pretty much one of the few civilian presidents that has had, you know, like Su- our founding father, Sukarno, was not a, he was a civilian. Suharto was military, BJ Habibi was a civilian, and Megawati is a civilian, Abdullah is a civilian, but like SBA, Susilo Bama Yudoyono was a military man as well. And like for the most part, the only people um, besides Sukarno and Jokowi who had a longer term as president were military men. And the chief uh, opponent to Jokowi in the 2014 elections was Prabowo, who was a military man as well. And was linked by many academics to uh, the May 98 riots. Full circle. Um, which he have denied countless times. And will continue to deny forever. But yeah, so th- there's real threat about people wanting somebody, like you said, much more heavy-handed, much more military, militaristic in their power. And we just need to keep an eye out and make sure that people's civil liberties are still being respected. You know? Yeah. We're going to keep an eye out on this issue and it's fast developing. You know, This just happened within the last four days and yeah um we want the best for indonesia and we're going to continue to advocate for democracy and fighting against people who support terrorism who support extremist ideas like this is not the indonesia we grew up with this is not the indonesia we want for the future and i hope our listeners agree with us on that front Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find more information and resources of whatever we talked about on our website, dialica.id. Music credits to John Dealey, Lee Rosevere, and of course, Broke for Free. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. And please share our podcast with your friends. It's the best way to spread the word about Dialogica. If you want to get more involved, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or just shoot us a message on our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and our Twitter. Please follow us on these various platforms. Our Twitter handle is at dialogicapod. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's Steph Tank. That's S-T-E-P-H-T-A-N-G-K. Thank you again and see you guys next time. Bye!